0: welcome to grace story podcast we're here to connect you with education resources and community that equip you for the journey of restoration my name is Nate davison and i am your host here at grace story podcast thank you for joining us on this episode before we jump in whatever platform you're joining the conversation from today we would love for you to subscribe download follow leave a five-star rating and a review if you can It helps out so much in spreading this podcast and all the content we share here at Grace Story Ministries. Uh, If you are listening and you like what you hear, uh, we'd love for you to send this episode to one of your friends. Uh, The number one way that podcasts spread and grow is by word of mouth. So uh, we would love it if you would share this with uh, a friend today. Now this episode is uh, is a takeover episode, Amber Jones, the president and founder of Grey Story Ministries uh, is uh, is taking over the podcast. Um, She's going to be sharing her conversation with Dr. Joanne Lyon. Dr. Joanne Lyon is the founder of World Hope International and served as the first CEO overseeing the mission to alleviate poverty, suffering and injustice around the world. She holds a master's degree in counseling with continued graduate studies in historical theology and has been granted five honorary doctorates. Uh, Dr. Lyon served as general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church globally for eight years and later as the ambassador of the Wesleyan Church. Over the years, uh, Dr. Lyon has served and continues to serve on a variety of boards, including Bread for the World, the National Religious Partnership for the Environment Council on Faith with the World Economic Forum, and on President Obama's Council on Faith and Neighborhood Partnerships. She has written several articles and publications, including the book, The Ultimate Blessing, and has served over 30 years in pastoral ministry. Uh, Dr. Lyon and her husband, Reverend Wayne Lyon, live in the Indianapolis area, They have four children and 10 grandchildren, and we are happy to have her on Grace Story podcast today. Uh, Let's go to the conversation that Amber and Dr. Lyon have uh, right now.
1: So I am super excited about this conversation today with Dr. Joanne Lyon, and um, Nate has already given a little bit of her bio and the statistics and all the cool stuff in the first Intro. And so I just want to jump into this conversation and um, welcome Dr. Lyon to have this conversation with me today.
2: Thanks, Amber. Thrilled to be with you and support and love your ministry uh, 150%. (laughs) God's called you at this time for these days. So thank you
1: I and i told it. dr Lyon, i'm not even going to try to be as suave as nate is with his interviews <laughs> he has one of our listeners said he has the voice of a babbling brook um so <laughs> I he agree has he does, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but i have so enjoyed being able to learn from you and i know that um so for a leadership comp, uh, class that i'm doing um I had to interview a leader. And so I said, Hey, Nate, I'm going to record this conversation because I know that there's other people out here that can learn from your wisdom and what you um, have to share. So it felt selfish to keep it all for myself. Um, I always think it's fun to start though um, with just some fun facts about like who you are. And I'd love to know what are some of, because you have. So many, What are some of the coolest people you've had the opportunity to meet? Like oh so my- those neat people? I know this one's a surprise. It wasn't on the list, but
2: no, not at all.
1: <laughs> oh my.
2: Well, you know, I think I mean, I've been with famous people and presidents and prime ministers, et cetera. But I think some of the most wonderful people I've met have been people that nobody knows. Yeah. And um, I well remember being in a refugee camp on the border of Sierra Leone and Guinea, and the refugee camp was in Guinea, uh, and it was during the war in Sierra Leone, and uh, uh, we'd had a hard time getting there the night before, actually, it was, uh, I I even ended up to, they had mistaken, I had permission from the UN to get in, and I had a group with me. Uh, but uh, they had mistaken identity. And so the night before about midnight, I ended up in a dungeon with a commandante with AK-47s and sunglasses on, which is crazy in a dungeon with sunglasses. But anyway.
1: So uh, did you fall <laughs> under the coolest person? You've
2: ever yeah, heard. right. Exactly the coolest. <laughs> but in the meantime, we got out and et cetera. But I finally got to the refugee camp and here I saw hundreds of people um, uh, uh primarily it from what westlands because of tens of thousands of westlands in sierra leone and they had made it to the refugee camp and hundreds and hundreds singing what a mighty god we serve uh and i and that and i was mad at god frankly as i was traipsing across that terrible refugee camp thinking god what are you doing these are your people you know yeah. and they're singing what a mighty god we serve our god is so big there's nothing he can't do uh and then um and, but I'll never forget this older one. They said she had. They had carried her through the bush to get her through. this. she was. I don't know how old she was, but but she was thin and and uh, and and needed to be helped. And I'll never forget the words she said to me that day in that refugee camp. And it was worth everything that had happened to to there. She said, "Thank you, thank you so much for coming. We thought we had been forgotten." Oh my goodness. And those words have stayed with me forever. The ministry of presence. They Mm -hmm. had to say a few words and I'm sure what I said didn't mean anything, but, but the fact those words that she said to me, we thought we had been forgotten. And she was an old saint in the church in Mm -hmm. Sierra Leone for many, many, many years. We thought we had been forgotten. I think I've never been able to get away from those words. And it means the ministry of presence. So I think when you ask me, cool people, yeah, I have met many cool people uh, <laughs> that the world would say would be cool, yeah, right, and right. and and I'm not putting that yeah. down. I think God opened those doors in wonderful ways. Uh, so I think that ministry of presence yep. is the same in that place as it is right. in the Oval Office of the White House, or as it is at the UN, or as it is in. I was just recently in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, invited there by the the. Um, uh, president of the Muslim world league. Uh, Mm -hmm. and so, but it's the ministry of presence in all these, and it's, it's the presence there, but the presence of Christ that we bring with us.
1: Yeah. uh, That says that. So, yeah. And that's interesting because what I'm hearing you too, is just one of the foundations of ministry is that people are people. That's right. People are people. And so whether they have, um, larger, influence or a smaller influence we all have influence and we all need to be seen
0: that's exactly right being seen is
1: exactly right that's right exactly so i i i treasure
2: that moment um more than anything of what she taught me you know
1: yeah and to be in those environments and this is something i was gonna ask you about but being in those environments and seeing that i think that there's often this this idea that maybe we have, maybe this is an American mindset, but Mm -hmm. that we're going to bring something to them. Right. And then how much, how much we learn from people of other culture. And and it's not Ryan is our licensed counselor, content strategy director at Grace Story. And he'll say, it's not a one up. It's not a one down. It's the same as mentality that we all have something to learn from each other we all have that's something right. to edify one another with um if we're willing to look there so the lessons that you've been able to learn but also to share I mean you have mm-hmm. brought so you gave her the ministry of mm-hmm. presence mm-hmm. even when you yourself were overwhelmed in that moment of being out yeah. of god you know yeah, like wrestling right. through your own stuff that's right it's exactly um, right. it's exactly right So seeing so much of that suffering with what you've done, and we're going to get into those early days of world hope. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm as, as a startup leader myself, I really want to, want to pick your brain a little bit there, Mm -hmm. but while we're here, I'm curious to know how were you able to witness those things and just, and not become overwhelmed by it? What did that conversation with God look like Mm -hmm. in suffering?
2: You know, one of the things that, and that, that's a good question that's been asked me many times because we've worked a lot in, in anti-human trafficking and those are, are dark, deep, evil places. Right. Um, but one of the things that always has stayed with me is there's a, a light around it that I see God and see God, the hope that Jesus can bring. Yeah. Um and and that otherwise you wouldn't do it. Why would you keep going around and around? And that's I wonder many times people that are doing these this kind of work, they don't many don't have that hope, uh, and it wears them out. Uh,
0: okay. yeah. And yeah.
2: Uh, and and I think with the kind of work that the faith faith people of faith do in this is uh, the Holy Spirit gives that hope,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, and you know that. The cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus is a different cup of cold water. So yeah. you can't always see it, but you know that the Holy Spirit is working in that in that process. And so that's what uh, that's what always has helped me to uh, to know that to not give up and say this is too much, this is too yeah. much. Nobody's ever going to win in this. Not yeah. to give up because God is always at work. And, and one of the things that I found that God will always pull back a little piece, and you can see what he's doing, that gives you that strength to keep moving forward, to keep moving forward. I mean, the work you're doing is difficult, very difficult. and uh, But yet God keeps pulling back that curtain to say, no, I'm at work here. See where I'm at work? Yeah. I'm at work. And that's what he does.
1: Yeah, because there are moments where you, I've sat back and said, okay, has this just been a good run? You know, uh-huh. like right. Exactly. Has this been a good run? Have we done what we, you know, have we started what we were meant to start? Have we given the message we were meant to give yeah. and um pointed people towards some hope and has this just is, is this time? Yeah. And and then yeah, that's about the time God's like, and yet here's fresh vision. Right. And here's that's right here's, there's more, there's more that I have for you. And it was interesting just recently, I was maybe having one of those pity party talks with God, like, God, I, I just feel disconnected Uh from from the mission right now. And, and I need that refresh and that fresh anointing. And um, I, I was, I've talked in my own kind of sharing about being yoked with Christ Mm -hmm. and how that is a little bit more like coming up under that cross with him uh-huh. and looking over and he's with you. And mm-hmm. I was, I was out on my porch here, uh, just, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago and, um, talking with, with God and just telling him like, you know, I feel like we're supposed to be yoked together, but I feel like I'm being punked. Um, because yeah. I look over and you're not there in the yoke anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> and he's so gentle you know, some of us that have some father wounding, we yeah. can hear God as this kind of like, well, this indifferent or this, that's the way it is, you know, yeah. or, you know, and his gentle voice was, if I'm not in the yoke with you, it might be because you left me behind. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's good. That's you're pulling exactly. this thing alone. That's was, right. Touche.
2: <laughs> you and, you know? to and that has to happen. That won't happen only once. It's it <laughs> continually, it's a continual reminder. And then yeah. you can, then you move forward. It's, it's exactly right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Where yeah. my pace has gotten ahead of God's, my right. frenetic, let's, we got to figure this out. We need donors. We need volunteers. Yeah. We need people, you know, whatever it is. And then I just look back and he's like, I've, I've got the answers. I just yeah. need to stick here with me. <laughs> like, so I'll okay. give
2: you a, a, an example that comes to my mind at this moment was, as you know, we started world hope in a bed, parsonage bedroom. Uh, in 1996. Now, I just want to say, I didn't just wake up one morning and say, oh, I think I'll start this. <laughs> in 1985, this is 11 years prior to when we began, okay. I was invited to go with uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, we, we were pastoring there in Grand Rapids, um, and uh, with the ABC affiliate to film a documentary on the on the famine. I was working with the Grand Rapids Area Center for Ecumenism at that time, and they that They decide they want to do their own documentary on the famine in Ethiopia, so they asked me to go, and so I went, and when I got there, I was overwhelmed with the the, the amount of, of people dying of starvation, not, mm-hmm. you know, and when there's plenty of food in the world, yeah. um, and, uh, and it's still the largest famine in modern history uh, still to this day, and yet I saw very few people of faith there, and that was communist country at that time, so many were not there but anyway i came back just overwhelmed where are the people of faith uh they need to be in this place etc i came back and talked and I, I wasn't very uh um i didn't have a lot of grace with it i was blaming people <laughs> i was loud and noisy and uh, uh and uh, they just told me no 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 we're not we're not going to do anything like that okay but god would never let it out of my heart during mm-hmm. those days uh, I did many, many things, obviously, in those eleven years, uh, but I still could. It just was deep in my heart. I didn't exactly know what it was, but I knew that somehow we needed the people of God needed to be involved. I mean, I know there are many other agencies, but somehow within um, yeah. I did, the Wesleyan Church denomination and so forth and others around, we needed to become involved.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, so then it was then in ninety two when a person came in to lead in the Wesleyan church, we began to work. And finally, finally, then it was that leap of faith that I said, and then I will do this. And I left everything. We had, still had two kids in college and up in Houghton, New York at that time,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, um, um, and started it. Um, and And then God just provided. So I think many times it is, and I think you've experienced this too. You just take that leap of faith then God provides. He doesn't provide before now. He'd given me a few, a few little things that said this is the way, right. but but the big piece wasn't there. Otherwise, it isn't faith. Well, okay, now I've got the money. Okay, I'll start. Right, we'll start right. When The money comes, but anyway, and other things. But um, I well remember that the wars were going on in Sierra Leone and Liberia at that time, and and we were working there, and uh, people from Liberia had asked for, um, for help with trauma and all of this type thing. Well, I'd done everything I could and people kept turning me down, turning me down, turning me down. Uh, And I'll never forget. And they had, we had a timeline we had to make. And I went that night, I went to bed and just in bed that night, I just lifted my hands in bed. And I said, Lord, you care more about the people of Liberia than I do. I'm at the end. I cannot do anything else. That next morning, I got a call. From a psychiatrist and a psychologist, who said, "Joanne, uh, we're just we we we're seeing on the news about this. Do you need any help in Liberia?" <laughs> right. And right. So it was, it, and so that's. I just want to say, at the end, we get the end, and and I and I don't think, I I mean I wasn't praying. I mean I was praying during that time too. Yeah.
1: But yeah. finally,
2: yeah. I was in uh, nothing else. Yeah. And, uh, And so I think, and they were far bit, far more qualified than the people I was trying to convince to go, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: And then they got to call them. So I think many times in those situations, uh, this is where we, you know, God just meets us at that time.
1: Yeah. I've said with regard to grace story, different times, God is definitely the God of abundance. for sure. He's also the God of enough. Uh That's (laughs) right. And there are times when he just, he gives you enough uh-huh. does. and it's not because he doesn't have more f- and doesn't have more for us. It's right. just, he has enough to get us to where we need to be right. in order to continue staying, relying on him. Right. And I'm always like, okay, you know, if we could just have, just have three steps, like uh-huh. three steps ahead, you know where you're going. But, but yeah, I mean, his faithfulness have, has always been proven and with grace story, yeah, starting it up and just not sure exactly how, how you're going to do that. But I think that's one of the things that I bring with me from, um, from my growing up years is this resilience, this scrapping, Mm -hmm. I'll figure it out and I can get it done. Mm -hmm. And God uses those gifts, what I call gifts of our dysfunction, you know, Uh those things that we've honed by, um, Mm -hmm. our family of origin that could, be seen as something that, you know, you have to get over and yet he really wants to refine those and use, use aspects of that
2: and, and transform those with that. Um, and, um, and I think also it's in, in starting something, um, it is very important uh, you, you, because it's all but it continues on constant uh, leadership is constantly learning. so it's never you never stop learning in leadership no matter what levels you are. But with a startup piece, it's uh, it's learning and then knowing uh, I mean one of the principles I always did with with World hope all those years and as it became big was I always hired people who knew more about that specific thing than I did. Mm -hmm. If you think you have to know all of it, you will soon, uh, you will soon, uh, crush your place. But if you hire people who know more about a certain area than you do, then you're constantly building strength in the organization. And it isn't that that you aren't capable, but your capability will be bringing in. You're not threatened by people who know more about something than you do.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
2: And so that becomes how you grow an organization. And I've watched many an organization fall because the leader could not accept the fact that someone knew more about something than they did
1: mm-hmm. in is. a
2: particular area. Yeah. Um, but leader that's what leadership is, is that you depend on ex people that know more than you in those areas. Um, yeah. and that's that's what will grow it. You still yeah. have a vision, they've they they buy into your vision. You still lead the vision. Uh, but, uh, but they, but you move together in
1: that. That's good. That's really good. Um, yeah, I, I like that. And I think, um, so this is exactly why we need mentoring as young leaders, right? We need those voices. Um, and if we're just gonna, if, if we're going to feel too, like we have to have it all together and threatened by it, then huh. yeah, we're going to miss out on some of these learning opportunities. That's right. Um, and I am curious who were some of your early mentors then as you were starting this up?
2: Okay. Well, first of all, uh, I was 55 years old when I started world hope. Okay. I right. was not a young thing.
1: Um, and, uh, Hey, i'm so, 40 now i think 55 <laughs> is getting younger and younger <laughs> that's right that's right
2: um so i had had a lot of experience in leadership early okay. on okay, um and for 10 years um i was i was we were in Kansas City missouri uh and um uh and actually it was in the late 60s and then 10 years 69 to 79 uh, and um, Those were during, uh, right after Martin Luther King had been assassinated, so Kansas City had their own riots, and then there was, uh, I was connected, I finished grad school at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. They got large grants to begin to work in the urban context for education and work with people on the streets, et cetera, and so ultimately, for those 10 years, I ran government-funded programs. Okay, uh, and and I and my offices were right in the heart of the of the inner city of the urban context. Mm-hmm. So I became so there were some very powerful leaders in those days, um, and some powerful African American women who were very powerful leaders in those. And so they, I learned so much from them in leadership uh, on how how to manage stuff. And th- those were not easy places. Uh, and you're dealing with the government, but you're dealing with the, uh, the the city, and and how do we empower voices in the city to speak rather than just top down? This is what you need. How do we lift the voices from the city in in the urban context up to say this is where what we need? And so I learned a lot about uh, listening, which is a huge piece in leadership. I learned a lot about conflict resolution. How do we manage this conflict? Um, and, and then I just learned a lot about other culture, the, the, the African-American culture in particular, that history there. So I have been forever, uh, forever, uh, he, in my soul about history and, and, and that, and the African-American culture and what that was. And, and if you realize, I mean, that was the seventies, six, uh, late sixties, seventies. I mean, my first job actually was to build a coalition with the Black Panthers and another young Black radical group on the streets of Kansas City, a Catholic nun, and I worked at that. And and so I I began to, you know, not be afraid and listen. And where are you from? I mean, I didn't say that, but I mean, learning who people are, why are they doing it? Brilliant, brilliant young folks. And uh, then how do we, how do we, you didn't win with everybody, but, but there were opportunities for further education and 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 to go out. So uh so that's so I would say that decade uh the 70s, um I learned a lot about leadership. I and also at the same time, you know, so this is what gets people confused. So at the same time, my husband and I are planting a new church. Um and yeah. and this is its own yeah, pioneer. yeah. And so we had an inner city church, and then that inner city church had wanted to plant a church in the suburbs. And so we did both churches. We kept the inner city church, worked in that inner city church. We were able to get new housing in that area and whatever. That inner city church is still thriving. And then we planted this new church because many of the people had moved out. So we're gonna plant two. We're gonna keep the one here and plant a new one. And most people don't do that. They close one and start another, but we, did, we ended up to do both. And at the same time, then I was doing, now we didn't have any children at that time. So at the same time, I'm doing this work um, in the city. Um, now I must say during that time though, we did have a family and, uh, close to the end of that,
1: uh, period of time, but, um, and that's a powerful story that you've shared at grace story before. And, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so, uh, so as far as leadership is concerned, and, and I want to say in a way, we didn't even talk about leadership, leadership is yeah. kind of the industry is more like, yeah, just how do you do this? How do you, how do you put this together? you know, How do you? Uh, yeah. And so, so, so that I would just, if regarding leadership training or mentoring, we didn't even use that word then. Yeah. Uh, but it, I learned a lot in that process. And so that's where I learned I'm as in Washington, DC. Uh, but during those days in negotiations on contracts and whatever. So I learned a lot of those things during that too, uh, that I never thought I'd ever, I'd ever need it again. So what I want to say is everything you're doing, God is shaping you for something you don't even know what you're about. Yeah. So when I started World Hope, of course, Washington was, was common to me. I, I didn't fear it. Uh, I, I didn't, there, there were a few people still, even when I started World Hope in 96, that were there in the seventies, but uh, not many, but it was so, and when I left that, and then, and then we moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I worked with this center for um, humanism. I mean, I just, I I didn't work. I was just a little part-time thing. It wasn't anything big. And, uh, but again, I began to be shaped by many of those leaders that were working there. And I learned from them on, uh, on, on where that was, but all of this, I want to say, Amber goes back to, deep theological roots of the wesleyan holiness movement mm-hmm. and we have forgotten in the wesleyan holiness movement what our roots really are mm-hmm. and this is what being sanctified means uh, and um, I, a book i highly recommend to every single person is discovering an evangelical heritage okay, by okay. donald dayton donald dayton is uh wesleyan i mean his father was the president of houghton college his father president indiana now indiana wesleyan father taught at asbury seminary for many many years don too don is a phd from the university of chicago great researcher okay and he he went back to all of our roots who we are Mm -hmm. why holiness women in ministry uh justice issues care for the poor all of this this is who we started with god's bible school in fact started out of that, those very roots of, of what that is. So we have forgotten what that is, but I do want to say too, that I really want to make this very clear at the very beginning. What, and our first, I grew up, I grew up, my parents are both uh, pastors. Uh, My dad was sent to Oklahoma, the pioneer district. Mm -hmm. He went, he was sent as a, as a young man. Um, And, um, uh, and he, I mean, as a single man, and then my mother was an evangelist. And they met and got married. And so they planted, as we would say today, planted 14 churches out wow. there. Okay. But I was born in the middle of it, like they had tent revivals, and that's how people came to Jesus. and That's how they started their church. Um, and um so I was I was born and all that. I never rebelled against any of the any of that. I um I I, I made my traditional trips to the altar and uh and Felt like I knew everything there was to know. So when Wayne and I got married and I had finished at the University of Cincinnati and he'd finished too. And so we took our first church in Springfield, Missouri, mm-hmm. moved out there. And I thought, "Oh boy, I don't know how to do all this. Ding! It's a small church, but we're all good at this thing going. And dah, 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 dah. first year was good. Second year, I was very frustrated and really wanted to leave the ministry. And I remember taking him out to dinner. I mean, we went out to dinner one night, but I had a plan. <laughs> we were in dinner that night. I said, Wayne, you have a great uh, personality. You um, could sell insurance and make a lot of money, and we could give a lot of money away. It ah, so yeah. always has a little twist to that. <laughs> right. And that night, I'll never forget, we'd only been married a couple of years, three years maybe. And he looked at me and he said, Joanne, I don't know what you're going to do, but God's called me to preach. And that's what I have to do. Wow. Now, many people today would have said, well, I can't ruin my marriage or whatever. Now, I don't know. Maybe you do. Yeah. do I don't know. But anyway, it didn't. I thought then, OK, then that's not going to work. <laughs> and I became more and more and more dissatisfied. I hated going to church. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the people. I got sick every morning when it was time to go to church et cetera. Mm-hmm. And one night, uh, we were putting up a Christmas tree and we had an argument and I threw my things in the car and left. And I never, ever intended to come back.
0: Uh,
2: mm-hmm. and, uh, I thought I've had it with this man. I've had it with his church stuff. I don't want any more to do with this. I'm gone. Well, I realized that I didn't have enough money and I didn't know. I couldn't, I didn't know where to go, frankly, because you couldn't let the church members know right, right. where you're going. And uh that we're fighting, I mean. And so I thought I'll sleep in the car and then take out for my parents were then pastoring in Ohio. Uh take out for Ohio tomorrow. And um uh and I didn't see a reflector and pulled in a car that I thought was a safe street and put the car in the ditch. And there I was. And so I had to have a tow truck to take it out, and there was no place to go but home. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so it would sound wonderful. If I, uh, we said we fell in each other's arms and said, we're sorry, but we didn't, we were angry. Live that way for a while. Imagine
1: how that one went.
2: Yes, that's right. So um, the next, so a few, I don't know when it was. Anyway, at one point I woke up one morning I was really sick and it wasn't Sunday. Mm-hmm. And um, finally he took me, scoop me up, took me to the emergency room. And this is how you can, you keep telling your spiritual yourself, these things. So as I was being rolled down the hall that day in the emergency room, uh, I said, well, Lord, I guess you have me in here to witness to someone. You see how your spirit, your religiosity, yeah. can yeah. just stay there. Yeah. Yeah. And he came back and he said, not your brother or your sister, but it's you standing in need of prayer. Wow. And yeah. I thought that that day, um, Wayne had always wanted me to read uh Catherine Marshall's book is out of print now but Beyond Ourselves I didn't want to read it because she was a Presbyterian I didn't think she could teach me anything after all I knew everything you see I was saved I was sanctified I knew everything and nobody Presbyterian or anybody they couldn't teach me anything right and uh and so I um so he he when I I said would you bring me that book and he's he did I was beginning to become a little more humble. I knew something was, this was beyond now what I could handle. Yeah. And as I started reading that book, I opened it up to ego slaying, And I thought, now, wait a minute. That's what we talk about in the holiness movement. How do you know anything about that? You're not supposed to know anything about that. And as I opened that book up, I'm telling you, Amber, that day, the Lord just, I mean, it was like a screen in front of me, all my sins, my sins, my sins of arrogance, Mm-hmm. My sins of self-righteousness, mm-hmm. my sins of pride, mm-hmm. my sins, all of those sins. Now I didn't con- I hadn't confessed. I hadn't been a confessor and mm-hmm. I started confessing those sins and Lord, I want you. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care anything. I want you more than anything else. I must say that was the first time I ever became hungry for God. Mm-hmm. God had always been around. Yeah. I've been really hungry as I perceived it anyway. Really hungry for God, and I just began to. And I and I the next morning they said, "Well, we don't know what's happened. We're going to do surgery, but today we're not." You, and I knew then God done surgery on my heart. Mm-hmm. I went home. I started pulling out all the books of out of the library, our or, or own. I mean, his library in particular uh, about you know what does it mean? Holiness mean? What does all this mean? I had had it in a box,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it mm-hmm. wasn't that at all. And, um, uh, I just began to read and began to read and began to read and became very hungry for who God was. And I didn't have any label on it. Just I'm hungry for God. Yeah. I don't even know what this means. Right. So I was to, a few weeks later, I was to do a Wednesday night prayer meeting, just open it up. And that was a place I didn't like to go either. They gave the same testimonies every night and it was boring and I hated it. Yeah. And, um, uh, and so I opened it when was gone. And so I opened the, that that night and whoever chose the music, I don't even remember. And and I did not like the people in the church. I must say, I just, I couldn't stand them. I just didn't want to be around them at all. And that is a problem, you know, if you're, <laughs> you're leading that. um, there. <laughs> that's right. And, and someone had to sing this old hymn that rarely ever gets sung these days, but hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Mm -hmm. And as they started singing that old hymn, it was like waves of the Holy Spirit came over me. And um, I I, I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I found myself standing up and confessing to those people that I had liked to come to church, that I didn't like them. But I'm telling you, Amber, that night, I was absolutely overwhelmed with Mm -hmm. love for those people. Love for those people, and um I believe that's where I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the evidence is love. We talk about evidence all the time. The evidence throughout Scripture, you know, is, and we see that in at in um, at Pentecost, of course, but we see that all through. I love Romans five five. Hope our hope hope does not disappoint, and is the baptism of the Holy Spirit with love, you know, yeah. and um, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, I, I I I go back to that time. That was the beginning of living the sanctified life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and as then, as you move forward and doing all everything that you do and who you are, and you fail, and the Holy Spirit guide because it's about living in the immediate presence of God and He keeps you, moves you, keeps moving you, you. You don't always do everything perfectly, but the Holy Spirit guides and you keep listening. It's the holy life, living the holy life, and. Um, Uh, and so it's so that nothing that I've ever done, I wouldn't be here today. had not that finally obedience to God and putting away all the other ideas that I had and living, uh, who, and so I believe in these days, we need people filled with the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to move forward. And you'll go in places you never thought God would take you. Someone has just asked me to do a whole paper on um, holiness in unholy places
1: mm. mm-hmm.
2: and uh and that's where god will take you if you and if you look then historically if you look back john wesley we look back at john wesley what in the world did john wesley do in that country but it was about the people's hearts being changed it wasn't that he was being political his heart was changed uh, and he began to see people with new eyes when he got kicked out of the of the um uh anglican pulpits the highbrow anglican pulpits and we went out to preach in the coal mines that's where he saw um and so i think that that's i think so i just want to say that i think anything that and i believe that's where god's called you holiness and unholy places yeah. uh these are yeah. difficult places yeah. painful places and yeah. that's where uh where where holiness is to be um uh, and living a holy life and so when you read Don dayton's book i mean it goes it just it says this all the way through in in abolition of slavery and women's women preaching and women's rights uh in the poor in 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 working in systems we have systemic injustice in our country and so we work in those to change those systems um and i'm not talking about political right or political left i'm talking about just living like jesus yeah uh, and leave all that aside, living like Jesus. So any anytime that I've spoken on anything and been in any of these high places, I've always felt I've been there to speak for the voiceless. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm there, wow. uh, and the people that no one else is listening to. yeah, so yeah. that's to me, is what what holiness is about,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it comes back to that practical ministry. And I appreciate so much the the way you took us through your own story, as you said, with of sanctification, because we've made it really hard,
0: mm-hmm.
1: oftentimes, you know, this this process of becoming full of the Holy Spirit. We've made right. it difficult and yet it's really just that surrendering of that's right to the end of ourselves that's right and sometimes we think we have because we feel desperate uh-huh. but then what you're sharing in your story and i know i've felt similar at different times where there's there's literally nothing left i have to offer that's right there's nothing left i can do to fix this mm-hmm. there's nothing left you know for me to be able to make this right or to make this right, even to somebody else. Uh-huh. It's just, you're going to have to intervene. You're going to have to step That's in. Right. And, and that is that start of coming to the end of ourselves. That's right. And this is where I believe God calls us
2: uh, to, uh, to difficult places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to, uh, because he, he, God trusts us also. <laughs> yeah. There's trust. There's a trust that God has placed in you. That yeah. he's called you to this. There's a trust he has in you. I think how wonderful that is. That God trusts me. God trusts you, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. to be able to, uh, to move into these areas.
1: Yeah, it is so humbling because there are those times where I'm like, why me? What did you uh-huh. see? And yet, also how affirming to mm-hmm. know that the creator God, the heavenly father, the sovereign also yeah. is so eminent to say. I know you, your frame. I know everything there is to know about you, and I choose you. Right, and That's I right. think that that to go back to how we kind of opened this conversation, uh-huh. it doesn't matter. People are people, and we do long to be seen, known, uh-huh. loved, really for who we are, and not uh-huh. the image we project, um, project, not the the things we've done or the checklist or the identity. Yeah created for ourselves. But when, at the end of the day, we know this is a God who loves me and chooses me.
2: Yeah. That's who exactly. I am.
1: And he sees something in me and because he's placed it in us, mm-hmm. but he sees something in me that he can use to bring restoration to his mm-hmm. church and his people. Yes. And, and that's a humble honor.
2: It really is. It really is. Yeah. I would agree.
1: <laughs> so as we're closing up this conversation, because I could, listen and learn all day. Um, I did, I was just curious cause I know there's other leaders and I don't want to miss this opportunity to have you speak to other Christian women and that are doing what I'm doing of mm-hmm. just leaning into God's calling, figuring it out as we go. And um wondering what would you say? Cause I know that there's some unique challenges that women face in leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, kind of as a follow-up as you're thinking through that, but as a follow-up, I know we have fantastic men on our team. We have fantastic men at the church I attend, the Wesleyan church I attend in Belding um, that want to come alongside and support Mm -hmm. and make those, those, you know, support those women and leadership. So I just, I know you've had a lot of experience here and just want to throw that over to you.
2: Well, one of the things I think is that men and women can work together really well. And uh, so I, I, there's a difference I've heard. I remember early on men would say, oh, I support women in ministry, but then there's a difference. Will you support women in ministry or will you advocate for women in ministry? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that, that needs to be, will you, will you stand up? Will you speak out Mm -hmm. for women in leadership and uh, women in ministry? So those are the two, those are two different pieces and you will have men who will say yes, but I won't. I won't take that next step. Uh, finally, you can't make them. Uh, so you look for the people that will will step out and will advocate uh, for women in ministry. I w- want to say that um, uh, that I, I I don't know if you you know, but I mean, the first woman to be ordained in the United States was ordained by the founder of the Wesleyan Methodist Church so 1853 so we can't we can't have any any argument in the wesleyan church about that Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can go through all of the for example the nazarenes are later but still the same thing the free methodist uh the church of god all of those in our in the wesleyan holiness movement women have always been leaders and if you go way back to the beginning of the american holiness movement it's laid at the feet of phoebe palmer a woman who preached sanctification all over the world, and that is what people refer to as the American, the beginning of the American holiness movement, uh, as opposed to just John Wesley coming down. But she preached Wesley, but she was kind of the founder of the American holiness movement, and really is the one who who talked about the altar, altar theology, come to the altar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was was all of that. Uh, so there is no, there should not be any argument in in the holiness movement regarding women leadership and uh women pastors and women uh uh you know evangel all of those pieces for women at equal as men men and women equal in that ministry now what happened is in the early uh, as as institutions began then mm-hmm. as we became instit- we had the revivals the camp meetings all of this and then we began to become institutionalized mm-hmm. now uh and so when they became institutionalized then uh men became the leaders in the institution. So that's that's where this whole discombobulation has taken place. So that's why it was, I was the first woman to lead the Wesleyan Church. Now, of course, it's a merger between the Wesleyan Methodists and the Pilgrim. There had never been any women leadership in any of that. And you know, it was like 150 years after it, Wesleyan, Wesleyan Methodist Church had started, or more than that since the woman had been ordained in 1853. Um, and same thing with the Nazarenes. Now, in a few years, I think, like two thousand one or something, they elected their first woman to be uh, general superintendent. Interesting. The Free Methodists just elected a few four years ago, elected their first female bishop. Uh, and then the Nazarenes still have a, another a general superintendent, female general superintendent. Uh, so, and then Salvation Army has had uh, female generals. Um, so, uh, so it's taken a while to move. Not biblically, but just move culturally. Yeah. Okay. For those particular leadership positions, Um, and um, so it doesn't. Now, in the Wesleyan Church, you might need to know. In the Wesleyan Church, we do not even have a statement in there. It's fascinating. It's in policy, policy, general board policy, all this, but we don't have a statement in the discipline that says we ordain women. It has been understood all these years. Huh. So, so yeah. then, uh, years, a few years, it's just supposed to be DNA. Yeah. It's, it's who we are. There yeah. is no, there is no statement about it because yeah. if we put in a statement, we'd have to have a debate. Mm-hmm. And so there's no debate. There's no debate. It has been from the very beginning. Wow. Um, so we have that though, in other policy things that women may lead at any level of the church, et cetera, it's in more in policy. But yes. the discipline—it's always been understood. Pilgrim Holiness Church, the, the merger and the mergers happened, mm-hmm. um, but in the Wesleyan Church, mm-hmm. so um, so that's always so that's that's always been understood. Um, but it but we come up against other church culture, so that's what's what's hindered in a way, and I think we're still dealing with that today, other church cultures and that have in, in, have influenced us but it's, it's not biblical, so I just want to say also regarding, men, you asked me about books, so uh, you noted that in the thing, but it, there yeah. are many many books that are out there that uh, that confirm biblical understanding of women leadership, women in leadership, A most recent one is by N-I-K-J-A Gupta, G-U-P-T-A, and he's just written a new one that just came out on women in leadership in the early church and in scripture and et cetera mm-hmm. uh-huh. and ordained and so forth. So many, many, many books out there. A website that is excellent is called Christians for Biblical Equality. Okay. And uh that's an organization that started in the late 80s. In fact, I was involved in some of the beginning of that organization. Okay. Um and um and they have a resources many many resources in that whole uh website and the organization uh, with that on women in leadership and women being ordained, et cetera. The very solid biblical scholars in
1: all of this. Yeah, so that's one stop place. To yeah, start.
2: Good start where you can get a lot of things. Craig Keener from Asbury Seminary has written a lot of things about this. Um, and so there is no lack of information mm-hmm. uh, of, of script, uh, things being written uh, on this. That that can confirm uh, the uh, most recent one. Allison Barr just wrote a most recent one on this. So they're all um, uh, really really good, uh, very good pieces on this. Yeah. So there should not be a question of this.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's good because that is something that we hear, and there's just this constant rumbling of, and it's just good to know. Look, it's where you go to look for your information, right? And if you're looking for a bias, you'll find what you're looking for. That's right. If you're looking for what is truth, um, these are some good places to start. That's
2: exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I, 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 I just you know, fi- finally. You just stop the argument and just keep doing. Yeah, and I think right. uh, I think uh, th- that's where I've been is uh, just just do what God's called you and just keep doing it, you know, yeah, and Your I think presence makes a difference too. Your yeah. presence makes a statement, yeah, you know
1: that's good. There is something to one of one piece of advice I got from um a mentor a couple of years ago was you're going to have you only have so much emotional energy to steward and uh-huh, so you have right. to pick your battles you know if you constantly go after the generals another general will rise up yeah and, right. and so that's when i started looking at the work of grace story a little bit more like the red cross yeah. you know we're not there to yes in some ways grace story is a disruptor uh-huh. uh, but the red cross is also disrupting But they're bringing compassion and nature and resources. And instead of holding up pictures of this is what you just came through and this is what ISIS looks like, Uh taking a moment to show what healthy looks like and hope looks like and meeting the needs of the people right where they are and allowing those other things. And it's not that they don't have a protection crew. You know, it's not that they're just indifferent that there's real dangers in what mm-hmm. they do, but, you know, so I feel like that's kind of what, one of the things that has been helpful to me is choose where you are going to steward your emotional energy, uh-huh. choose your battles. Well, I mean, that's a parenting tip too, right? Uh-huh. So. That's
2: right. But I think, but I think you're right. And you, you, and wh- what you just said is, uh, you know, where you're going, you don't, and you just stay the course with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Well, Dr. Lyon, thank you so much for taking time to have this conversation. I always love learning from you. It is a true honor. Um, Before we go, is there something that you would share with the listener? Um, And then I would love it if you would pray blessing over um, not just grace story in this conversation, but over those who would hear this and be in a place where they are like needing to hear from someone like yourself as well just to encourage them and edify.
2: Okay, well, thank you, Amber. And it's been wonderful to be with you. And the reason that I felt like I needed to give my story at the very beginning is uh, uh, we forget what has been the foundation that we build on. Yeah. Um, And that's where I really feel that we, if we don't build on the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, it's nothing. It will fade away. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I really wanted to give that story to listeners to realize that's where you have to have a foundation to start with on anything that you're going to do and anything that you lead. So that was really, I've I've been feeling more compelled on that more recently uh, in several ways uh, that that we have to get back to that base Mm -hmm. uh, of where we're going. Um, and, uh, as, so I would say to all of you who are out there and, and leaders in particular, women leaders in particular, uh, s- stay the course, stay, stay, um, stay the course. No, God's called you. Mm-hmm. So, so stay on that call, uh, and, um, uh, stay focused. You can get multi-focused. And then you start down this, this place and then you start down this place and you start down this place. So stay the focus to which you feel God's called you and and you will grow and it will grow. Your, or, if you have an organization, it will grow in that piece. Uh, and uh, know that you God continues to equip you. And I think one of the things, the giftings, God continues to give new gifts. He doesn't just stay with a few. He gives you new gifts as he calls you into a next place and a next place. He gives you the gifts for that particular
1: leadership capacity. He continues to gift you. Hmm. That's good. That is good. Well, thank you. And if you don't mind, just close us out in prayer.
2: Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence in this interview today. I thank you for Amber and her call and her obedience. Uh, Many times you call us, but we don't obey because we're afraid. So thank you, Lord, for her obedience. And, uh, and I thank you that when you call us many times, obviously we don't see everything. But as you said to those lepers, those 10 lepers, go to the priest and as you go, you will be healed. Hmm. And they had to believe that. We don't know how many, we know that only one came back was healed. Do we know that they just gave up on the way because they didn't see it like they thought it should be? So Lord, help us to be as we go, we're believing you and we're knowing that you're gonna be there every step of the way and you'll open doors. Don't let anybody give up before they get to the place and keep moving forward. Thank you for this time. And I pray a special anointing on Grace Story at this time, supply funds. Funding is always a difficult piece. And I pray that you will supply funds and that people will be healed in this process and continue to be healed and bring glory to you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Well, thank you so much for listening in to Grace Story Podcast. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, give us a follow there. Tap a five-star rating and drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow there and hit the notification bell to never miss an episode. There is no us without you. So get engaged, continue on your journey of restoration. We'll see you in two weeks for a new episode. And until then, we'll be praying for you.